Hey, good morning, Veritas. Good morning, my name is Jeff. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and get, get the privilege of opening the, the Bible with you this morning. Um, love the way you led us in prayer there, Dalton, that we are not the main characters in this story, right? And this, this is maybe one of the only times in the whole week that we actually have that said to us and we nod along and are like, yes, that's why we're here, to reorient, right, to, uh, to Jesus. And we're definitely going to be able to have that happen for us with the book of Hebrews. If you've got a Bible, you can make your way to the book of Hebrews. That's the book that we're going through. But um, before we dive in, I've got a special request and prayer request uh, to throw before you. In order to do that, I want to uh, put a picture up here. Um, it's not going to shock some of you who are regulars uh, to Veritas that uh, I've got Zambia on my mind. And this, this picture is from a uh, couple trips back when we were able to take water out to this little village called Kabansa Village and incredibly just life-changing. This is at a moment where the gal there with the hat is actually kind of reading a thank you and you can see Joe Kalunga in the red shirt there just on his knees thanking God because water had been brought to the village. Well, we're going to be going back here in just a couple of months with the hope of getting a clinic established at Kabansa Village and a lot of plans already in place. Here's my request, and then we're going to pray together about this. It's short notice, only a couple months off, a little bit less, and that trip goes over Thanksgiving. It's not ideal for almost anybody to just all of a sudden, oh, sure, I'll go with you. Here's my request. We're wondering if there might be a doctor in the house. <laughs> We have a few around here, uh, a, a doctor or really any kind of medical professional because when we go, it's going to be to one, assess just what's going on out there medically and all that, but also to take with us um, a lot of the medical community from Zambia and by, do, by you know, taking an American doctor along, then sometimes they'll accompany us by some of their uh, people and that's what we want. We want this to be very Zambian led. So I don't know what the chances are that somebody's out there like, oh, I'm a doctor. I could go, but if that's you, come and talk to me afterward because uh, God's really up to something, you guys. God is, and the privilege that we have as a church family way out here in the middle of our country to have that kind of crazy impact on a, on a village out in the middle of, of Zambia is such a privilege. So I would love for us to pray about that together. It's, it's a crazy task, so let's, let's bring that before Jesus. Uh, Lord, um, we're praying really in dependence upon you, Jesus. Uh, going to Zambia, going to Kabansaville, none of that was really our desire or thought. You led us step by step to even discover these dear people and have given us then the privilege of partnering with them a church birthed, people coming to know Christ, baptisms going on, and it's just astounding, Lord, what you've allowed us, from our perspective, to kind of stumble into, but because you're the one designing it all, we know that there's no accidents. So, Lord, if it's possible that there would be a doctor, a nurse practitioner, somebody that could jump in on this trip to help us take this next step, Lord, we'd be so grateful for you to be able to work that out as unlikely as it might seem from our perspective, um, would you do something like that for us, Lord? And uh, for now, Lord, uh, right before us, right here, right now, we've got this amazing book of Hebrews that you've written for us. And so awaken us, um, 
Help us to lean in as if we might be the only ones in the room because your spirit is so driving these truths right into our soul, into our lives. Uh, May it be so, Lord, as you guide us into your truth. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, thanks for praying with me on that. All right, let's go to the book of Hebrews and we're in chapter two. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when we launched this book, we talked about Hebrews uh, think, think of it with a metaphor of a journey, that, that, that we're on this journey, and Hebrews is there to help us along, to help us make sense of this journey, to take the next steps in this journey, and not just any kind of a journey, but a pretty tough, pretty difficult journey. In fact, I even described it for you guys as maybe not so much a walk in the park as much as a, a, a climb up a pit, you know, or like a pile of gravel, you know, where you're kind of slowly making your way, but sometimes sliding backward. That's a little bit more of the way uh, that, that our journey seems to be and feel at times. Um, we also talked about how sometimes you can get some pretty good clues about a whole book by reading the end of it. I want, I want you to do that one more time with me. Go all the way to Hebrews 13, and then we're going to make our way back again to chapter 2. But when you get to Hebrews 13, this gives us a little bit of a glimpse as to who the original readers, the ones who would first hear this book read over them, what they were going through. Hebrews 13 is when he's kind of wrapping up, and he says... Let brotherly love continue. Okay, you guys need each other. Verse two, don't neglect to show hospitality for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. So there's that angels theme all the way from chapter one. But, but this impulse, man, take each other in. Open your homes. Help each other with, with hospitality. Love each other deeply and open your homes. Open your table. And then verse three, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Likely what he's describing there are people who are in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're mistreated because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. They're being mistreated because they're followers of Christ, right? So all that is kind of woven into that. And so what I'm saying is that gives us a clue back as we go back to the first couple chapters. These are people who are, here's the thing, they've been invited on this journey to follow Christ, and then they start taking those steps, and all of a sudden, their lives are maybe worse than they ever were before they started walking with Christ. And at times, they've got to be scratching their heads like, wait, I thought this was life that is truly life. I thought that this was going to be a a glorious thing to follow Christ, and now I'm getting mistreated and stuff, and that's why he's writing this whole letter, to people like that, and maybe people like you and me who would say, man, I'm a Christian. Should I be suffering this much? I I feel like I should be a little bit insulated from some of the kind of trials that I've got, right? I'm on God's side. Shouldn't that give me some privilege? (laughs) Instead, I find myself really slugging it out as I make my way through life. Well, what I want to do um, is walk through Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And a lot of times I'll read the whole passage for us before we ever dig in. This time we're just going to take it piece by piece. And I want you to see these, these nuggets as we go through as just truths. There's going to be five of them, these five truths that are just going to help you take the next step. Okay, five, five truths I think he's going to lay down to coax us down this road, this path, this journey of faith, just moment by moment, step by step, keep coming, keep coming, you're doing well, right? That, that kind of uh, an image as the author of Hebrews 
lands his words on us. So let's start with Hebrews chapter two. I'm gonna start verse, verse five. He says, for he is not subjected to angels, the world to come, that we're talking about, okay? Again, this theme of angels, if you were here last week, Mark, unpacked those verses before and the, these awe-inspiring angels and how Jesus is even better, and so he's making a little segue. Look, the world to come is not put under, right, is not subjected to angels, verse six, but someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you care for him? Well, the someone somewhere is David and it's Psalm eight. <laughs> you can write that in your margin or whatever. Like he, he's gonna be referring back to so many Old Testament passages all the way through that he's, he's not gonna just say, hey, I read back in Psalm eight. Okay, he's gonna, well, someone somewhere. He knows where it's from, but he's just you know, gonna start spewing all these Old Testament uh, passages. So Psalm eight is what he's leaning into. What is man that you remember him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we don't yet see everything subjected to him. Okay, we're going to stop there for the, the first truth I think he wants us to focus on to keep us going down this journey. And that is this. Our journey, you guys, our journey ends in an unimaginable kingdom. One thing that's gonna help me take the next step while I'm here on mortal you know, soil is I, I, I wanna check out where I'm heading and what he's gonna be saying is this journey of ours is gonna end in an unimaginable place, an unimaginable kingdom. He calls it here the world to come. And it's not angels who reign there, it's Jesus Christ reigning supreme in this world to come. So here's the deal. Any journey, no matter how difficult, no matter how arduous, no matter how perilous your journey, if you know that the end point is worth it, man, you'll go through whatever it takes, right? Even we talked about Zambia. Get it, there's no easy way to get to Zambia. It's not like Iowa City and Lusaka, Serenje, Zambia are destinations, right? And so it takes a little bit just to get there, and then when you get there, conditions not so great. But if you know what's on the other side, these wonderful people, glorious work of God, hey, I'll do whatever it takes. Roll up my sleeves. I'll get there because it's worth it on the other end, right? He's trying to say, keep your focus on the world to come. This big kind of story arc of the whole Bible. We messed up Eden, that glorious place Eden. We messed up, got kicked out of there rightly because of our sin. Where is this thing going? It's going to a place that honestly defies imagination. It defies our, our mind to even imagine. So right now, right here, right now, he says, we don't see everything subject to Jesus. It doesn't look like Jesus is reigning. Man, I feel like I've got a lot of hindrances. I feel like I've got a lot of pain. I feel like I've got a lot of suffering, loss. I know, but the world to come everything as it should be. All of a sudden, hindrances removed. <laughs> Suffering, gone. Even death itself swallowed up in victory. Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a short time because he came to usher us to a place where there will be pure joy. What I want to do is actually read for you just one glimpse. It's, it's like Kind of like maybe when, think about back in the Old Testament, if you remember when Moses was about to die and God took him up on the mountaintop and said, hey, before you die, I just want you to catch a glimpse 
of this incredible place I'm taking to people. It's, it's like every now and then the Bible gives us just a glimpse as to what's to come. In Revelation 22, here's the way that that place yet to come, the world to come is described. He showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Like we live in Iowa, our rivers aren't clear, right? They're kind of nasty most of the time, you know, but especially now when there's not a lot of rain, it just gets thick and smelly, right? No, this river clear as crystal. What's that gonna be like? Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. And those leaves of the trees are the healing of the nations. No more curse, all this. So even just that tree, just that marvelous, now it's not just one tree of life like in Eden. Now there's gonna be this clear as crystal river and trees of life lining both sides. And then these are magical trees. Like you go and pick the most delicious apple you've ever had and you come by, walk by there next month and you're like, are those pears? I could have swore this was an apple tree. Oh, wow. Peaches? What? Was it like this incredible place where even the trees start producing different kinds of fruit each month just to entice you to keep coming back out of the wonder of it all, right? Here's what I'm saying. Every now and then we just get these little glimpses as to where this thing is ending And it's just spectacular, and you know what that does? It gives me reason to take that next step forward. What's to come? Where's this journey ending? It might be hard right now, for sure it's hard right now, but look where we're going. Look where this thing is heading. So he keeps building in that thought now because he wants us to know our our entrance into that kingdom, our ability to step into that yet future kingdom, it came to us at an unimaginable price. And we've got to focus on that. Remember that. We, we didn't get just a free pass to get in there. We got a free pass that cost an unimaginable price. Look at verse 9 of Hebrews 2. But we do see Jesus. We don't see everything the way it should be right now, but we do see Jesus. And here's what we think when we see Jesus. Made lower than the angels for a short time. That's right. Why? So that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. Guys, pretty soon, in just a few weeks or the end of November, we're going to start celebrating what the church has celebrated for many millennia, a couple millennia now. Advent. Advent, right? That's That's when the church hits pause for a few weeks to say, wow, I can't believe Jesus came to us born into a feeding trough and and born into abject poverty. This is crazy. We get our minds wrapped around the God of the universe becoming flesh and blood, incarnating, (laughs) becoming like us, right? So we, we, but then we've got to get our minds wrapped around this, not just to come in human form, a little lower than angels even into human form, but why? So that he could die for us. We sit in wonder at his birth, And then we are even more awestruck because he came to be born just like us so that he could, it says that, die so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Now, I want want to be careful with this word taste because sometimes if you think someone just tastes something, you might think something more like like if I ever tried to get um, my kids to taste something that they thought they wouldn't like, you know what I mean? And, And you know, hold out your tongue. Maybe it's a piece of broccoli. No, seriously, this will not kill you. Just taste it. Just, you know, and you're because you want them to try everything, right? And so you try to just get that, ah, you know, they get one little taste on their mouth. I remember one time 
unimaginably, it was my daughter, Audrey, that did something wrong. That didn't happen. Usually it was his, her brothers, but she did something wrong. And so I'm like, I'm going to have to wash your mouth out with soap. I know, maybe this is bad parenting. But here was, here was my version of what. I took a bubble, a bubble, and placed it on her tongue. You would have just thought that I was, you know, like killing her. Anyway, I'm just saying, don't think of that kind of taste, like Jesus tasting death. Oh, no, just, I got a little bit. No, no, no. When the Bible describes Jesus tasting death for everyone, he took that goblet of death and drank it down to its dregs so there would not be one drop left for you or me. He drank it down, right? Jesus stepped in and didn't just taste death like, oh, no, I don't want it. No, he took it on. He drank the full cup. And here's the real stunner. The reason that Jesus even is gloriously crowned, look at the end of verse 9. The reason he is gloriously crowned with glory and honor is because, look at the connecting word, because he suffered death. His ability to get coronated, crowned king of the universe at the end is because he took on death. In fact, if there had been any other way, he would have just as soon taken another way. He, remember, even in the garden, Matthew 26, Jesus is praying to his father. He says, if there's any other way, could this cup, what is the cup? The cup of death, the cup of the crucifixion that he's about to undergo. If there's any other way for me to get these guys saved, if I could get them into heaven with me without having to drink this, oh no, nevertheless, not your will, but mine. And so he took that cup and drank it all the way down so that we could be freed from the tyranny of death, having perfectly obeyed, perfectly done everything it would take for you and me to come in into the kingdom. Guys, we gotta, we gotta wrap our minds around this. It took the outrageous, not just advent of Jesus coming for you, but for him to love you so much. Guys, we were broke, we were dead. In fact, we weren't even looking for a rescue. We thought we were fine. <laughs> we didn't even realize how bad off we were. And even then, Jesus came and stepped in and took your death and my death. Our only hope came at an unimaginable price by Jesus Christ. So that helps me to keep going, like fix our eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews 12. I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he accomplished everything for me in taking on death. Which then leads us to the very next thing that he's going to bring us to because our journey then into the kingdom will absolutely include suffering. Like the one who went before us, Jesus, our journey, guys, will absolutely include suffering. In fact, it's essential. So look at verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God for whom and through whom all things exist, let's not forget that, the God of the universe should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust him. And again, here I am with the children that God gave me. This idea of Jesus being the pioneer and that we follow. So 
I just got to say this, you know, I, the version that I'm reading from that a lot of you guys are now following the CSB, uh, we, we've got some people that think I'm a little too into the CSB, even on our staff. And so as we got to this passage, there was one of our staff members, might have been Rebecca, in fact, I know it was. Anyway, Rebecca kind of, <laughs> pioneer, what a weird word. Why would they choose pioneer? They got these big hats going up, hoo, hoo, hoo. You know, whatever, I don't know what they, she thought of with pioneer. Here's what I'm saying, Rebecca. It's a perfect word. It is a well-chosen word. I'm so glad that the CSB chose instead of author or whatever, pioneer. Here's why. I just finished uh, David McCullough's book on called The Pioneers. I don't know if you guys are into like more history books, biography books, but The Pioneers. About right after when the United States became the United States, right after the Revolutionary War, we were ceded, deeded uh, what was then called the Northwest Territory, at that point, the Northwest was like Ohio, but not just Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, this massive, in fact, with one gift, we more than doubled our country, <laughs> okay, by the, but here's the deal, it was a scary place, nobody had really been in there, and so now we own this big chunk of unbelievable land, so here's what happened, they sent in the pioneers, right, so these guys go in there, a couple incredibly heroic uh, dudes and, and their company, tribe, but they get in there and they're like, we've never seen anything like this. This ground is so fertile. In fact, the trees that are able to grow out of this ground, back in New England, they hadn't seen anything like this. They're taking measurements of the circumference of some of these trees because never had they seen ground that could support outrageous things like the kind of trees that they were seeing and could grow crops like they'd never seen and rivers so nourishing that they'd never seen before. But here's what else they found. Things like copperhead snakes that kill you, right? Winters that kill you, right? They, all sorts of adversity. You know what it took for the United States to be able to take advantage of this massive place, some pioneers to go in and clear some of that land and be able to start growing crops to feed the people, whatever. It took somebody going before us so that we could end up, and then some of the ideals that they had. They said, now that we've got a brand new, kind of a blank canvas, we're gonna make sure religious liberty is, is one of our highest goals in this new place. We're gonna make education universal and free to all kids. One of the first things they did was start a university. They're still pioneers, and they're starting university so everybody can have it, right? And one of the crowning achievements, slavery will never be allowed in this whole territory. We've got this nasty thing going on in some of the rest of our states, new states, not here, right? So they had all these ideals. It's like the America that we'd always wanted to have, that kind of America. But man, there was a lot of adversity to get there. <laughs> it was gonna be tough. We needed some pioneers to go before us, right? And all who followed those pioneers, this is the important part that I think he's saying here. Those first ones that followed that initial band of pioneers, it was not gonna be some walk in the park for them either. Yeah, maybe somebody got there ahead of them, but it was still a lot of winter. There were still a lot of snakes out, right? It was not gonna be a walk. So here's the thing. Jesus suffered unimaginably for us. He became our perfect pioneer to go before us. But now he's calling us to join him but it's a pretty perilous path for us too. Now he's there and he's, he's paved the way, right? But for us guys, here's what this passage tells us and this is glorious. For us, the suffering that we encounter, look again at verse 11. I wanna read that over for you again. Look at verse 11. For the one who sanctifies 
And those who are sanctified, so Jesus is the one doing the sanctifying. We're the ones who are sanctified. All have one father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. For us, our suffering has magic in it. By God's design, our suffering does something magical. It purifies us for the journey. It prepares us for the journey. It actually completes us in ways that nothing else could. Now, we're not going to talk a ton about that this morning because that becomes a major theme throughout the book of Hebrews, the, the role of suffering in the life of the believer. But guys, even before we get to another page of the book of Hebrews, you know this to be true already in your own life. The suffering, while you don't want it, does something beautiful and completing and purifying for you in your life. And that's why for us, that suffering, nobody wants suffering, but we do certainly want what's on the other end of that of how Jesus sanctifies, purifies us. And then here's what's crazy. God, again, using the the supernatural power that he has, takes this suffering and he turns it into moments of singing and joy. Look what he does there. Saying, man, I'm gonna proclaim your name. I'm gonna sing your hymns, verse 12. I'm gonna sing hymns to you with my brothers and sisters. It's like Jesus is saying, Yeah, you're going to suffer for a while, but along the way, you're going to find yourself worshiping and singing. Man, I, I, not so many months ago, my dear sister-in-law passed away, and I'll never forget some of what would occur. She didn't want to die. She didn't want to suffer, but you know what she would do often? Let's sing together. Let's, you're like, what? Yeah, because all of a sudden, for the Christian the moments where the, the pressure is on the tightest, we find song, music. Some of the stuff these guys teach us coming from our lips, and it's like Jesus is urging us on with songs of joy, wrapping his arms around us, right? With my brothers and sisters, he's saying, I'm just gonna sing hymns in the congregation and, and sing my way through the suffering. It's, it's beautiful. So that helps me to take another step forward, right? That, that it's going to include suffering, but even that suffering is, is accompanied with, with some kind of magical joy with me, which takes us now to this next couple of verses, and here's what he's going to say. Our entrance into that kingdom, the actual moment where you enter that kingdom, it need not terrify us anymore. It doesn't have to terrify us anymore. Look what he says, verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that Through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Guys, ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden when we sinned, death has been looming over us, and it terrifies humans, all of us. We have one common shared experience, afraid of death. Terrifies us. To the point where it becomes a means of coercion, right? Somebody comes up and at knife point says, I'll kill you unless you give me your money. I'll kill you, right? And so because we're so afraid of mortal death, we will do whatever it takes, right? You can, in fact, terrify an entire nation. We just got done commemorating 9-11, right? Where a whole country was gripped by fear because we might die the way we just saw others die. We might all die. And so just, you can use mortal death as a means of coercion, right, of, of terror. Here's what's happening here. Jesus, in his death, it's like this. It's like Jesus 
when he died, went down into Satan's lair down there. And there's Satan standing there with the keys of death. And Jesus walks right up to him, just snatches the keys of death right out of his white knuckled grip and says, no more. I'm conquering death itself. In fact, you, you thought you had the keys. You thought you were going to rattle these keys and shake it, you know, and, and make everybody free. No, no, I'm going to grab those keys. I'm busting out of here. Oh, and get this, Satan. I'm going to leave the door open. So anybody else that happens to come down to this grave is also going to bust out because I am conquering the grave. I am conquering death itself, Satan, right? So we've got Jesus going in, taking away the fear of death. Now, I, I, I want to say this, you guys. It doesn't mean that we no longer should have any kind of fear in our life about death. He's not saying it's unchristian-like just to fear death. What he's saying is you don't have to live in being tyrannized by it, enslaved to it. Because even if it's still a little scary, still a little, do I, do I want to go through that? No, no, no. Yeah, it's okay. But we just fix our eyes on Jesus and we realize it's okay. I can close my eyes in death because I'm going to awaken on the other side of the grave where Jesus has busted me out, right? It's a glorious way that he comes in and gives us hope even when facing death itself, right? We were held in slavery no longer, which brings us to the last couple of verses here, okay? Jesus, this is so beautiful. Jesus doesn't just send us out on this journey. Hey, you go. He joins us. He joins us on this journey. Check this out. Verse 16. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. That's, that's you and me. Okay. And that word help, you might want to circle that. He's going to repeat that word three times in these couple verses here. He doesn't reach out to help angels. You know what the angels got? When some of the angels rebelled, you know what they got? Justice. <laughs> the, the demon world, they just got, there was no second chance. There was no Jesus stepping in to help them and becoming an angel so that he could help them. No, no, no. What angels got were justice. And so if we had just gotten justice, that would have been, okay, that would have been, he would have been fair in giving us that. But he looks down, he says, oh, but he decided to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, verse 17, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help, there it is again, help those who are tempted. That word atonement there. Some of your versions you have like the ESV or something, you might have this even bigger Bible word, propitiation. In there, atonement, sometimes propitiate. What, what both those words mean is Jesus took death onto himself. He absorbed the death penalty. It, it, it's like if all of a sudden you were standing there and you were about to receive death, maybe by, by you know, uh, an arrow coming at you or whatever, and just at the last minute, there you are ready to receive death, and Jesus steps in and takes it for you, right? That's the idea of atonement, propitiation. He steps in and absorbs the death that you deserve. Jesus Christ came down to take on death, to make atonement, but more than that, more than that, came to help us. He, he came to our aid. And now it's not just that he stands up at the gate and keeps coaxing us, here, come on, come on. No, no, he, that very last verse, 
He suffered when he was tempted, so now he's able to say, oh no, I can help you with that. So it's like this, now we're going along in our journey of faith and we're heading toward those gates, that kingdom, but all of a sudden, man, loneliness sweeps over us and all of a sudden we feel this arm wrapped around us and it's Jesus, no longer just up in front shouting out lessons, right along, oh, you're lonely? Oh yeah, I've understood loneliness. Let me help you with that. Let me speak words of comfort and truth. Jesus, people are turning on me. Even some of my best friends have turned on me. All of a sudden you feel this arm wrap around you. Oh man, I get it. I've been betrayed. Let's talk about that. I got, I got some words. I've been there. Jesus, I'm suffering right now. I, I, I don't know what to do. Oh man, I, I get it. I, w- I was so desperate in my sufferings. I, I cried out to the Father too. I get that. Let me, let me walk with you. Let me help you, right? Look at this unbelievable Savior that, that doesn't just, if all he did was clear the way for us, then we'd be grateful, right? More than that, he comes to help us along the way, every step along the way. Guys, I've talked to enough of you this week just to know that not everybody in this room would say they're going through a rough patch. Certainly not everybody. But some of you are. In fact, you wouldn't probably have to look too far to your right or left to find somebody that's really suffering right now for all sorts of different reasons. Some self-imposed, right? But there they are, not knowing what to do. This book, if we'll, if we'll allow Jesus to use this book, is gonna give you strength to take a next step forward. To believe by faith that Jesus is that pioneer, that perfecter of your faith. And he's there to help you. So even today, I just wanna kinda of pray through these truths and, and welcome them into our soul. So if you would do that with me, let's, let's stand up, let's, let's close up our Bibles and let's, Let's pray these truths into our souls. Man, how much we need these truths. And maybe as we begin to pray, if you're especially in need of these truths today, just hold out your hands. It, it, just as a, as a symbol of desperation, empty hands held out, Lord. Help us to remember, Jesus, that this journey, though it, man, it seems like a tough patch of road right now, it, it's taking us to an incredible place. Would you give us visions, Lord, even now of that future home? Would you entice us by allowing us to just catch a glimpse of what is yet to come? Coax us forward with that, Lord. Jesus, remind us of what you paid so that we could freely walk through those gates. Remind us of your death. Remind us that you didn't have to come and suffer and die. You did that for us. That fills me with motivation and hope, Lord, because you've done an unimaginable thing for me. Help us... Jesus, to embrace that suffering is not just incidental. It's not just our experience. It's essential. You're doing things through our suffering that we just wouldn't have learned it any other way. We're too slow to hear, too weak 
So we don't like the suffering, Lord, but we're saying, guide us, complete us, purify us. Jesus, even if we're about to face mortal death, I don't want to think about that. It makes me a little bit afraid. But Lord, even that somehow kind of vanishes because on the other end of me closing my eyes in death is you awakening me into a brand new kingdom. And so I don't want to be terrified anymore. I don't, I don't want to be enslaved to that fear, Lord. You're there. And in fact, you're with us every step along the way. What kind of savior do we have? Jesus, I'm stunned all over again at what kind of worship you deserve, what kind of love you draw out of me because you are so worthy. So hear us as we pray. We need you so desperately. Teach us, lead us, guide us. In Christ's name, amen.